that's okay, that's I love it. that. This is the key <laughs> right here. This is what matters to me, and and just shining. I'm I'm the mirror being held up to you, whether it's third grade version of you or today version of you, and any version in between. Like, this is what this is what these conversations are for. Um, thank you for diving. I love it. Yeah, that was very Scorpio of me. <laughs> are you a Scorpio? Okay, hey, I'm so, so excited. <laughs> we have we have so much to get into, and honestly, I'm like, okay, <sighs> yeah. where to start? <laughs> okay, I was gonna tell you another like synchronistic feeling thing when I popped into this room yes. and you were playing Never Let Me Go by Florence yes. and the Machine. That is my soul song by Florence and the Machine. That is the song that I play when I need Jesus. Like that is the song that I play when I feel like sometimes I go into these existential depression like mindsets and I'm like, what is the purpose of anything? Because everything's temporary and nothing matters, which is great because nothing matters. I can do anything, whatever I want, but nothing matters. Like, what's the point? And it's really, my therapist has a lot of fun with that one, but never let me go. <laughs> never let me go is the song that's like, when I need that reminder to like, just let it go. And that yeah. line that's like, uh, what did she say? It's about going under. I'm not giving up, I'm giving in. And that has proven to be so true in my life and with my clients. Like when you let go and give in, you give way to processes that are greater than yourself. And life unfolds for you because you're a tiny human. You can't and control it's beautiful. anything. And I'm, I'm overthinking the word go versus the word in. You know, letting something mm -hmm. go alludes to you have to release it. It has to go somewhere else. It's not allowed to be a part of you and a part of your life versus giving in, letting in what is happening let it letting it be internal letting it be a part of you letting you walk through or letting you experience what's happening yes. inside of you outside of you like that's a really big deal that's something that's important for i think people to truly process that you don't always have to be so removed from what's happening to you just because it's not necessarily comfortable um the post that i posted in sharing you and your beautiful mind one of the things that you said in your in your list of advice these tips um for your internal struggle your internal voice you said there's no good and bad who who taught us how to define good and bad in a clubhouse room once upon a time someone said there's no good there's no bad there's just agreeable and disagreeable mm -hmm. and you have an entire life of experiences that you're using to shape what is agreeable to you and what is disagreeable to you and who said that those things are set in stone the same way that a whole entire human being is constantly changing evolving absorbing information ignoring information like all of those little intricacies, that intricate process, you're going through that every second of every day. So what was disagreeable to you yesterday, you can work, and this is where you come in, you can work <laughs> to change the way that you're defining agreeable versus disagreeable. Like some people think it's too late to do that. Shout out yeah. to Rosario. He's a mental health professional that'll be on next week. And um, some people are just like, it's too late. It's too late to change anything. I'm 57 and I'm stuck in a rut and I don't want to buy a new house or I can't buy a new house and I don't have a certain relationship with my children and why start doing the work now? I'm 57. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to change. That's something I see a lot too is people think that they have to adhere to all these expectations that other people put on them and that they put on themselves and it's like you're allowed to change your own expectations of yourself on the day to day as well. You're allowed to change your boundaries. You're allowed to change. You're just allowed to change period. Yeah. 
I love that. So good. So good. I'm so I'm so sad that you were. I was about to say I'm so sad that you didn't get ample rest and that you were anxious about this because there's no reason to be. I'm excited. (laughs) This this is gonna feel like a FaceTime chat with my girlfriend. This is this is my home mug. Uh-huh. And um, this was given to me by a very close friend, Sarah McWilliams, a guest in the past as well. We had a lovely conversation about courage, stepping uh-huh. out on faith. Um, you feel like home, Rachel. <laughs> Let me tell you why you feel like That's home. So nice. Oh my God, tell me, tell me. <laughs> what is this conversation about? That thing? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right here. People are going to get right here and be like, all right, I'm going to let them have this. <laughs> Maybe I'll listen next week. You feel like home, although we've only just met within the last several weeks over Clubhouse. We mm-hmm. have had maybe maybe three exchanges, maybe um, something right. something like that. And within those exchanges, uh, the rooms that we have been in, the rooms that were created that we wanted to go to were extremely intentional and meaningful. You have a lot of wisdom and expertise in some very specific areas. We have to give a shout out to Flora. We have to get a, give a shout out to Sarah. We have oh, to give goodness. a shout out to Richmond. And oh, I'm sure there God. are many, many more that you know and love, and I do as well, where I'm just like, the list goes on. On and on and on. Mm-hmm. And the list goes on because you and I love and care about people as much as we do. I get that we have that in common. But we have also been led to be extremely intentional about who we are surrounded by, mm-hmm. who, we are, who we are exchanging energy with. Yes. Um, the types of things that we put out for people to receive and the types of things that we receive. So I kind of want to start off on the surface of uh, both of us being ENFJ regarding regarding the Myers-Briggs test (laughs) and just hearing from you personally about your friendships, your connections, your associates, um, the people that you are surrounded by and you make sure that you surround yourself by and how you vibe with them, whether it's intuitive, whether it's professional, Mm -hmm. um, some things that you take away from your circle and things that you know you give to your circle too. Because you give a lot. lot Thank you. Oh my gosh. Okay, there's a lot going on in my mind. I'm trying to categorize. Fun fact. I actually shifted. I used to be ENTJ, which I think is Ah. really interesting. Yeah. In college, I took the Myers-Briggs and it was ENTJ, but technically it's XNTJ because I've shifted very closely between the E and the I. Yes. One point off. Ambiverse all day, every day. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. a gift and a curse, I think. Unsure. I'm not mad at it. (laughs) But yeah. And I did all this self-work and I noticed that it shifted to F like a couple months into some serious heavy work. And I noticed that my relationships did change too. I think that's when I started to get way more intentional about, like there's that phrase that's like, who you surround yourself with is who you become. Mm-hmm. And then another one, I hear different numbers of this all the time, but the five to eight people that you spend the most time with, you are the average of those people. Yeah. So I started to get really serious about, okay, who am I surrounding myself with? And I, I tended to, sometimes I still fall into this pattern, um, but being like the, the one in charge, like the, not the mom friend, but like mm. the teacher friend that people go to for advice yeah. and then end up feeling like I don't have anyone to give me advice because yeah. I'm right. taking care of everybody else all the time. So I noticed a huge shift in me not meeting my own needs right. and then 
having to go out of my way to like expand my circle because that was full subconscious comfort zone. It's because the people who could meet my needs and did like push me in that way were scary. And we get into like attachment theory stuff and like that. But yeah, a lot of like fear around and it goes back to this whole that everybody has not being like, like what if people don't like me? What if I'm not good enough? Blah 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 blah. So that was part one tangent. <laughs> no worries. We are following. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of your question is, what do I contribute and what do my circle contribute to me? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So many freaking things. I feel like my circle... Okay, first of all, like the thing that I value the most with people is play, like having fun with people and being able to laugh. So valuable. And also expansion, growth. Like I love people who challenge my own belief systems mm-hmm. and the way I'm thinking about things and sort of help me stretch my mind a little bit. Um, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. And that's been challenging to find actually. Like I love the group of people I have around now because usually stretching perspectives comes with a little bit of like conflict, which I think has yeah. an intrinsic, like there's a, a visceral reaction to that word. A lot of people have really negative experiences with conflict, but I really like to say that conflict is actually the entry point to a deeper connection because mm. you're able to expand perspective and you can really get, you have to be vulnerable in order to um, resolve a conflict effectively. And then that makes your relationship so much deeper. So a little conflict is good. <laughs> I agree completely. Another uh, reason why you feel like home. It's very uh, rare that I meet people that agree with that. Um, again, getting into attachment style and a whole nother cyclone of a conversation if we chose to speak <laughs> about romantic relationships. But it has been very interesting um, going through some romantic experiences and being like, uh, hello, hey, hey, you do know that a little debate is like educational, right? Did you know that? Did you know that this experience is just allowing us to learn more about one one another? And last time I checked, we're in a relationship, and that's a good thing. No, no. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe this won't work then. (laughs) Maybe this. Yes. So I definitely feel you on that, Um, and that is very refreshing to hear. I'm not the only person out there. I love that. Yeah, I've also experienced the other side of that spectrum too, where it's like Mm. when conflict becomes the only way someone knows how to connect. That Mm. is like. I don't, I don't mess with that. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to put some space here. But um, still, like, empathy from a distance. But, yeah, sweet spot. Conflict. Definitely. Challenge. I'm an Enneagram 8, too. I don't know if you know anything about the Enneagram. But so, it's, like, yeah, conflict. Yeah. There are so many things that I have learned just from being on Clubhouse, which is it's crazy to give so much credit to what seems on the surface to just be an app. Like, I know. An and because of this app, I'm this brand new, totally different person in the last eight weeks. Like, I don't know who, what, when, where, totally. how, why, but it's the truth. Um, yes, Enneagram stuff I hadn't looked into. I did finally, like, I did, and I feel like you'll get me on this. There's research, and then there's research. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely took the test, found out that I am a type two, and that's lovely. <gasps> um, oh my God, I knew it. Because eights and two go together. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And then when you first said Enneagram 8, I almost reacted the same way you did because my brain wanted to hear you say life path because I'm a life path 8. So it's just like, you know, <laughs> so all the crazy. numbers, all the numbers know my life around path. everywhere. Yeah. <gasps> I don't. Ooh, should I take a test? Take no, a test. you don't even have to take a test for this. Oh, we're doing it. What is it? What is it? And then I'd like to know what you, what you do and don't dive into when it comes to astrology because that conversation can go 
Okay. So have you heard? You see <laughs> are you that? Leaving? Are you leaving? That's my, oh, those are um, my birth chart in three different housing systems <laughs> in astrology. <laughs> I was doing research. <laughs> I can't research. figure out. <laughs> I can't figure out if I love you more for having your birth chart in three different types of astrology or if I love you more for the fact that you like were just like, wait, wait, right. Wait, where are they? Yeah, hold on. I thought you were I thought you were going, hold on, let me go get something. Like that's what I was waiting for, but no. Yeah, that's camera's throwing me. Yeah. So speaking on astrology, and because this conversation is about the, oh man, um, mm -hmm. my little brother being the Scorpio that he is, uh, he uh both of my siblings, they are my heart, mind, and soul. Like, we're ridiculously Aww. close. And my brother and I are definitely, like, the same person in two bodies. We get into these very beautiful and deep and meaningful conversations where you can just feel that the energy in the room is the same exact energy that's cycling back and forth between us. It's beautiful. I love and that. he being a Scorpio, one day I just randomly did some research on the, the astrology signs of each person in my family. And he is the only water sign interesting however when i did that research i i read for the first time that scorpios are the honorary fire sign oh yeah spicy water mm -hmm. i love that <laughs> little cayenne pepper in your water yes yes i thought that was so cool because it makes so much sense for me to be such a fiery person but then for my brother and i to have so much in common yeah what's your brother's moon sign he's a leo moon Oh. And I remember, I remember oh, reading that because my mother is a Leo son, and we—I remember just having a conversation about the way that they clash because <laughs> they. That clash is a so lot. funny! Oh my god! Okay, I want to hear some crazy thing, astrology thing. So your son is supposed to be the father figure, right, in your life, in your chart, and your moon is your mother. My son is in Scorpio. My dad's a Scorpio. My moon is in Aries. My mom's in Aries. Like that is so literal. I need a, a professional astrologer to give me a little more, more dirt on that one because that's so deep. So cool. That is so I love deep. That stuff. I love that stuff. I cannot stand. I right now in this moment, I cannot stand this conversation. Are you familiar? <laughs> are you familiar with your Saturn return? Mm -hmm. I just okay. finished mine. <laughs> Made it out alive, baby. <laughs> right, and that's what I was about to ask. Like the fact that we are all up in this thing, literally right now. I'm just like, oh, mm -hmm. I wonder. I wonder if she's done that research. So, how did that go for you? It was really productive, I think. Um, it's really interesting because I heard an astro wives tale of sorts that while you're in your Saturn return, you're supposed to pay attention to every Capricorn sun person that enters your life because they're there to like help guide you and facilitate that experience. Um, and pretty much every guy I dated had like was a Capricorn oh, wow. or had some big Capricorn placements or right were a Cancer Sun, which is Capricorn's opposing sign. So okay. I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, overall, I'd say I had a good experience with my Saturn return. I gave it four out of five stars because there were some okay. uh, heavy, challenging moments. Right. But the last time, I think there's like calculators. You can search up the exact dates of the most intense periods, like the peaks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the last one I had, which was the last, last one, was early January. And okay. I definitely had a baby mental breakdown, but what came out of that was my RES retraining tool that's on my website. It's like this brand new process that like all of my life's work, my personal development life's work, because a lot of mm -hmm. past lives, <laughs> my courses and all that stuff, but all my personal development work went into this tool and it's like, 
it's been an absolute game changer. And I ended up being able to build a whole business model around it. And I'm like, thanks, Daddy Saturn. That was, that was right. rough, but it was good. It was, good. It was rough, but this was great. That's, that's a yeah. very, very big deal that that is what came out of it. And I, I'm not surprised at all. Um, those complicated or those, those lower points in the return are there for so much, like the purpose that I'm sure came out of the times that you were at a lower point. And then the mm -hmm. ultimate purpose, which was having your RIS retraining tool yes. ultimately happen and, and be born within that period. Don't worry, we're going to get there. Trust me. I love that. Get. Every low point, I have to remind myself of this on every low point, is like carving out more space to allow the same intensity of experience in the positive. Wow. That makes sense? I like that a lot. Like yeah, for yeah, as badly, was... yeah. Mm. So for as badly you can feel in this moment, just know that you can feel the same intensity of this feeling in joy and happiness. And that's what you just flipped my whole life around, girl. You just flipped. If my you whole don't life feel around. it. Yeah. If you don't feel it, you're not going to feel it on the other side. I don't know why it's up as and down. you were saying that I literally <laughs> had like, here's all the negative experiences. And I'm right now I'm placing the positive experiences that do feel like they're on that same mm. spectrum, just the complete opposite side. That was very powerful. Thank you for Thank sharing you. that. That's entirely so too accurate. <laughs> So we're going to look up your life path number. Okay, okay, okay. okay. We're gonna read. You are a life path five, my friend. What does that mean? Hierophant is how Siri just pronounced it. A person, especially a priest in ancient Greece, who interprets sacred mysteries or esoteric principles. Okay, okay. I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, the internet didn't have to know that. The internet could have called you many other things, but yeah. no. <laughs> So some I'm say a, that the life I'm, path number five, <laughs> yes. Some say that the life path number five is the number of freedom and change. And those with a life path of five tend to seek freedom above all else. They are yeah. adventurers, having a restless nature. They yeah. like being on the go. They're constantly seeking variety in their lives. They have yeah. a free spirit and need to have variety in their day. If they do not live the adventure, their lives can become way too dramatic. They love meeting new people, trying new things, and living life for today. And curiosity leads them to constantly try to find the answers to life's questions. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Sorry, that's a lot. That's on point. <laughs> Some would even say that conservative is a word that is probably never used to describe them, as they love taking risks and hate routine and repetition. Is that true? Do you hate routine and repetition? I freaking, I can't, like, I have 87 planners that I always use, but I never stick to them. And I end up right. using them diaries and it freaks me out to make plans in too long of, of advance because i'm like what if i change my mind like i need yep. to reserve that space i don't want to mm -hmm. i hear that <laughs> i hear that i agree I shouldn't say i hate commitment I say it freaks me out avoidance. you have to go through like a more extensive process in order to yeah. be okay with the commitment i hear that yes let's see let's see Hmm. The Hierophant is the fifth card in the tarot deck. Comes from the Greek word Hierophantis, which means one who shows or brings the light. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm glowing. I'm stop there. You are glowing. <laughs> so, it's the moisturizer. <laughs> whatever it is, it's the truth. So I wanted to, and I, I envisioned this earlier today, I wanted to yes. give you a little... My, my spiel. I wanted to give you my spiel. Okay. This podcast exists because anymore nowadays in 2021, you can Google a person. You can find some things out. You can uh, look Rachel Besser up on Instagram. 
and you can see that she is a highly intuitive person she's an empath she is extremely wise in her in her area of expertise um, you can see that she works with horses has students and trains as far as horse riding goes you can see that she loves what she does you can see that she enjoys her social life and that she has friends in a circle that she's smiling with very frequently you see all these things because you can google a person mm -hmm. that to me is the surface so this podcast is here in order to bring some depth take the depth of who you are and bring that to the surface as well um and i want to dive in and really understand and learn and get to know some of the things that you've experienced that have brought you to the surface brought you to who you are today with that being said before we speak on the ras retraining tool that you have cultivated and curated uh, before we speak on your area of expertise your professional career i would like to know about some things such as your relationships with parents, um, mm. whether or not you have, you know, siblings and, and different things that have happened in your childhood. I don't recall. Did you know that I was also homeschooled? Did what? No. I just I didn't what? remember if I I didn't remember if I said it on Clubhouse at any given point in time. Why am I surprised what? at this point? Listen, right. What? what? <laughs> right. <laughs> So, I'm sure I'm sure if being homeschooled comes up, we both will have a nice little exchange. We'll both have some things to say there. But please, if you do not mind continuing to be open and transparent, how did Rachel become exactly who she is? What are some oh my things God. she went through back in the day? Let me tell you about my childhood trauma. Just kidding. I mean, I'm not that much kidding, but you know, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, I don't even know where to start. Like, I always was super shy as a kid, um, but I was also really playful. And they say that your moon sign is like who you were before you got programmed by society. And I, mm. being Aries moon, I was definitely like, the bossy toddler <laughs> when we were playing with Barbies, it was like, you're this one and I'm going to be this one. And then you have to do that. And it's like, right. yeah, it's like Aries energy. <laughs> but I was really, um, yeah, I liked having fun. Uh, when I started school, I remember being a little bit nervous, like shy, but ultimately I'd like ease my way in. No bad experiences there. Mm -hmm. um, I moved a bunch as a kid and apparently that's all it takes to instill an abandonment wound. So that was mm. that's for sure there. Like I moved, we lived in Colorado for like six months when I was, I don't remember, mm -hmm. maybe five or six. And then back to California. I was born in California. And then when I was eight, moved to Louisiana, lived there for three years. And that was my last year of public school. Cause that was the first year I just like, I would cry and throw the most, I put my mom through, like, <laughs> I think I fully embarrassed her and gave her a run for her money. Mm. I just... I threw the tantrums where I would cling to the back of the car seat when she was pulling up to school and, you know, we were all supposed to get out. My brothers would get out and I'd be like, I'm not going in there. I'm not doing it. And she'd be like, Rachel, right. come on, you got to go. And I'd start crying and I would have like full panic attacks and say, I don't want to, I don't want to go in there. It's too scary. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what I was afraid of, honestly. It was just like this wow. crazy fear of leaving my mom. And she would have to pry my fingers off the seats one by one and drag me in, which I'm sure was like a little traumatizing for her in hindsight. Right, right. Um, but I remember 
finally going in. I was always late to class because I was throwing tantrums and I would be so worked up that I would throw up in the hallway. And I remember the principal walking me to class one time and that happened. And he was like, all right, there's the water fountain. Clean up a little. Let's go to class. And I was just like, and still, as I recall that, this is like the trauma that I'm working through at this point, like so deep in there that this feeling of aloneness in those experiences, like having all these feelings and having no idea what to do with them and having these adults and authority figures sort of like not necessarily shaming me all the time for it, but feeling like a complete fool and like total outsider for just having emotions. So that was really challenging. Um, Do you feel like people were not acknowledging or trying to work through your reason for for feeling that way, your reason for um, for reacting that way. Yeah, it was always like there wasn't really any effort to understand why I was upset because I didn't even know honestly. So how could they right, figure it out? Right, right. But it was always like, shh, sh- sh- like just stop. Like, what do we have to do to make you stop? So that's what I internalize. It's like, okay, feelings equals bad. No feeling. Feelings are bad. Feelings are dangerous. This is no. This is dangerous territory. I need to figure out how to not feel and you can see where this is going like <laughs> it's, yep. uh, repression is a, a curse yeah mm-hmm. and then that's when we were that was like the thing to do in Louisiana was to homeschool your kids so my mom pulled and my dad pulled all of us out of school I have an older brother a younger brother and a younger sister but she was too young for school um, so my two brothers and I were homeschooled for a whole year they ended up going back to public school. I stayed and I did want to stay. There was some discussion about me going back to public school as well. And I was like, uh-uh, I'm not. <laughs> and I put my parents, my mom through so much. <laughs> like, I don't even know what word to use. Trial and tribulations. Um, going to school turmoil. that I think. She, yeah, <laughs> turmoil that I think she was like. And my dad were like, okay, it's just easier to just let Rachel stay homeschooled. So I ended up doing that. And then when I was 11, we moved to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And that is when, like, if I had issues when we moved to Louisiana, then moving to New Jersey was like everything times 10 wow. because I lost all my friends. When I moved from California to Louisiana, there wasn't this like experience of loss. I don't remember that because we would visit California and I'd see all my same friends. But I remember when we left Louisiana, we had this going away party that our church threw for us. And I remember driving away from that and crying a couple tears. Mm. And it was the first time I'd ever cried about a loss of friendship. It was like my first adult cry. I remember thinking it like that, like adults cry over this stuff. I'm a kid, I don't cry over things. (laughs) Adult cry. Yeah, I don't know why that like compartmentalized in my mind in that way. But I remember thinking like, this is what something like my mom would cry over, not me, this doesn't make sense. But I was sad about losing my friends and I still, to this day, I haven't haven't seen those friends. for like I'm friends with a couple on Facebook, but it's not the same, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then, where was I? Abandonment. You <laughs> had just trauma. gotten to move to New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. So I was super lonely, homeschooled. My brothers were in public school. My sister, I think she had started school by then. So basically, I spent a lot of time alone. My primary social interaction was with my mom and my siblings and my dad, but he worked a lot. Um, And I remember just feeling so like trapped in my own 
experience and trapped is still that's like a core wound that i still work on which is why i desire freedom so much as an adult i'm like ah but yeah and then between like with all of that going on externally there was a lot of challenges within the family dynamic which i'm not going to get too much into because I like to, when I'm gonna speak about something publicly, I wanna make sure that it's fully resolved in my own emotional body. And there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot of stuff that's not fully resolved at this point in my family dynamics. So mm -hmm. challenges, like lots of chaos um, constantly. So between this dynamic of like, there's always chaos going on. I'm not allowed to have feelings. It's not safe for me to have feelings. There's rule, the rules are constantly changing. This is like the recipe for a fearful avoidant attachment style. <laughs> like constantly right. changing things, chaos, feelings are bad. Long story short, I ended up self-harming from, uh, how graphic are we gonna get in here? I don't know, like freak your audience out. <laughs> they they know that I stand for authenticity and transparency okay. and vulnerability, so. The truth, and and really, this is about you. It's whatever you're comfortable with speaking, and it's however you you want your story to be told. So, mm -hmm. I love that. Too. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, then I'm gonna go there and say, yeah, I started cutting when I was, I think the first time I was 11, and then it got, it became a habit by the time I was 13, and then it became my main coping skill from that point on. And I had this like barometer almost for any time I experienced a certain level of emotional intensity, it was like, shut it down, shut it down. Like, that's how we do that. And there were other um, methods between then. Like I started riding horses when I was 11 too. And that was like, I swear to God, horses saved my life <laughs> like fully because it met, it met every single need that I didn't even know I needed for wow. connect consistency, for feeling in control of something. Yeah. yeah, and the like this partnership that I was able to experience with a variety of different horses sort of made up for my lack of connection mm. with other relationships and these people that society is telling me I'm supposed to be close with, but they don't feel safe. That's me speaking about my family. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, horses ended up meeting so many, so many like, <laughs> And correct me if I'm wrong, you, you mentioned that all of this happened around the age of 11. And that was also when you moved to New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was just Got like, it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, horses. And then what else? Yeah. Just lots of chaos, self-harming, extremely insecure attachment style. I ended up, by the time I was 19, I ended up being hospitalized for the self-harm. They thought I tried to kill myself, but I did not try to kill myself. Um, that sounds, maybe I should change that phrasing. It came out of my mouth and I was like, hmm, temperature check on that one. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I had, I mean, I was having suicidal thoughts by the time I was 16, I remember going to bed because I just didn't want to be awake anymore. And I remember praying to God. I was, I grew up super Christian. I remember praying to God, like, please just kill me because I don't want to live anymore. This is too hard. Like, I don't know what to do. I feel like emotional thinking about this version of myself that's still alive in me. And it's like, right. goddamn girl, don't quit. Don't quit. Like, you're going to be okay. Right. So 
Yeah. And I still think of that time and it's like, that was such a low, low point. Mm -hmm. And I was only 16 and nobody knew. And I was kind of like, how could they not know? Like, it's so obvious to me being myself, but yeah. So by the time I was 19, I was finally hospitalized for the self-harm. Um, and I ended up going into treatment. I was inpatient for a while. I met my therapist that I had for nine years. Shout out Jennifer. I love her. Can't see her anymore. I can't see her anymore because I'm in California and she's in New Jersey and therapists aren't allowed to practice. That's what they're saying. I'm like, whatever. That's whack. I know. It's so rude. Anyway, so my uh, life goal is just to become so wealthy that I can just fly to New Jersey for therapy. Jennifer. Yep. So that ended up being total game changer. And I know my parents feel so much guilt for Mm. all the chaos in the, cause Mm. they really did try their best. Like I can see that as an adult. Interesting. If you didn't have the tools, you didn't have the tools. Like, you know, so, and generational trauma is 1000% a thing. And I've learned that through my own reprogramming process. So half the stuff that I'm sort of like teasing out of my own subconscious is just inherited from the stuff that's in my parents' subconscious that they don't even realize isn't an option or is an option to change because it's so deep in their parents. Anyway. Right. um, Yeah. So I ended up getting a fantastic therapist um, and she was my, she was my first secure relationship, which is insane to think about knowing everything I know about attachment styles or attachment theory because I heard one statistics. I haven't validated this, but this mm-hmm. is what I've been hearing from a lot of professionals is that you only have to have your needs met 30% of the time in mm-hmm. order to develop a secure attachment style. So like, that's that like map. such a low number. Right? It's like kind of embarrassing. <laughs> it, yeah, that's what, and that, yeah, that's what I'm feeling right now. I'm like, wait, really? That's it? I know that goes to show. And like, I have this other theory too, that secure, the secure attachment style is actually the rarest one. And a lot of the people who think they're secure are actually more on the avoidant spectrum because they're more regulated, but yeah. And also I think everybody's a little fearful avoidant. That's supposed to be the rarest one, but I really, what are you thinking? Okay. So wait, literally this is a secret between you and I right now. One of the rooms that Flora and Sarah did on attachment style um, like last Tuesday or something, there was a girl in there. I don't remember her name. And she was talking about her first date process or something. And she said something to the tune of, yeah, like I'll never forget this guy who sat down on the first date and immediately blurted out. So what's your attachment style? And I was just like, and I was like, dude, who are you to ask me that? Blah, blah, blah. This is just our first date. Like, leave it alone. Why can't we just sit here and have fun? And then I think it was Flora that was like, well, wait, what is your attachment style? And she was like, I'm secure, blah, 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 blah. And in my mind, I was like, no. Is it just me? Or is the way that she reacted to that gentleman asking that question not really secure? And I had my own thoughts about like how she reacted and, and her tone of voice. And I, I never voiced it, but the fact that you even just like affirmed, most of us think we're secure when we're actually avoidant and we're actually not. That's so funny that that's what I experienced. Like even just, it's one thing for me to have heard her say that, but it's another thing for me to have kind of just been like, wait, am I allowed to be disagreeing with her stance right now? Mm. I don't know, but that was really weird. And I'm not sure if that was so secure. To be like shutting another person down because they wanted to get to know you on a significant level. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so funny what? because I always ask like before I even meet them I'm like what's your attachment style what's mm-hmm. your zodiac sign when's your birthday can I look up your birth tell me chart? everything what's your like, everything oh, I need to know oh and yeah 
And if they freak out, it's not my person. It's fine. Exactly. You gotta be able to handle the Scorpio. Amen. <laughs> so, Agree completely. Yeah. All right, I apologize for that tangent. No, so thank you. You had mentioned a lot of people that think they're secure are actually more avoidant. Please continue. Yeah. What was my original point? I feel like I had a point to saying that. And we were, you had also gotten into this concept of your parents feeling guilty, you know, not mm. having the tools. And I thought that that was very imperative. Yes. Um, yes. Oh yeah. So I was going to say what they did do right that I mm. will like never, I feel like I would, if I ever become super famous and rich, I will buy them a yacht for this. Like, <laughs> okay. Like that. Like, what, please, please share what, what earns them the yacht. They paid for my therapy. Like they had no idea what they were doing, but they put me in therapy and they just like, wow. what? They were like, yeah. And I remember so many times my dad was like, I don't believe therapy works. Like it doesn't work. Da, da, da. Still paid for it. So I was like, thank you. And that's such a freaking privilege. And I know that's so huge. many people don't have that. And yes. on top of that, the therapist that I was assigned to, I didn't pick her. She was just assigned to me in the program. Ended up being like my freaking spirit guide. Like, I swear to God, like the connection you and I have that fast, that yeah, was that, like, click. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so many people go through therapists and therapists and therapists and they're like, I just don't, I can't. Can't find the one, just right. Like, I feel yeah. so sad for those people. She just mm -hmm. like, oh, found me. And it was crazy because in the inpatient program, it was like the last day. And before I was graduating, I got a certificate for completing intensive you outpatient. Girl. I still have it to this day. I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's my favorite degree. <laughs> I don't care about my bachelor's, the IOP <laughs> certificate. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Um, but the, on the last day, God, I'm so numb. Geez, I like didn't even fully embody my emotions back then. Not even a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it was the last day. And I was like, oh, yep. I'm going to find another therapist. I just don't care about anything, but I'm kind of bummed to move on from Jennifer, but whatever. And my dad, out of nowhere, asked her if she had a private practice, like in the middle of the last. And she did. And she's like, yeah, I'm not allowed to share that information unless you ask. So I will always remember that. My dad just like, I don't know if it was an intuitive thing or he was just like, wow. Okay. Yeah. We're, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. There. So that was really... Have your parents ever yeah. gone to see a therapist? Yeah, my mom has. And my dad, we would do family sessions a lot of the time towards the end. I became like the mental health warrior after a couple years and was like, I'm going to fix my whole family's trauma by making them go to therapy with me. I was very like gung-ho about it. And I think that's a, phase. <laughs> that's a phase we all have to go through when you go from like oh, yes, to 100 is like, you think you know everything. It's like the Dunning-Kruger effect where you learn a little bit of information and then your confidence goes up here. Yeah. And then you're like preaching to the world and you're like, come on, guys, I know everything. Now let's do this. And then you learn a little more and you're like, oh, my God, I don't know. And you're like, oh, my God, I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely some of that. And it was really a good experience because there were a lot of conversations that we are were not able to have outside of the therapy room. Um so it was really transformative, but not overnight. And I, I don't know if the rest of my family would even agree if, that it was transformative, right. but I feel right. like I had a lot of really positive experiences into the therapy room with them. And Jennifer Absolutely. made me feel so safe. So yeah, I had all these experiences with her and she kind of like molded a new, how do I phrase this? She gave me the opportunity to experience security in a new way that I was then able to bring out into the rest of the world and know that like, okay, Beautiful. that's 
that's what security feel like feels like. That's wow. what I should for. And then I ended up meeting my first boyfriend when I was 22. And that was another like pivotal experience because that was the next secure relationship that I ever had. And I was so fearful, avoid it. So fearful, avoid it. I remember crying when he left. Like literally we'd spend all day together. He'd be like, okay, I got to go home because I got to work. He worked overnight shifts. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd have this so, it's so not cute, cute, but it's so cute. Like <laughs> it was so embarrassing. So embarrassing. And I would like literally close my eyes and he would know that I was upset. And I'd just be like, can't like, if I close my eyes, the tears won't come out. Like it's fine. And he was so supportive and yeah, I, that's just Aww. like, such a, <laughs> I would literally cry, but that shows you how deep the abandonment wound is. And it's so visceral and it's like, goes against this. I think there's still a thing in society where it's like, you should be able to cr- control your emotions. Da, da, da. No, right. You should be able no. to handle your emotions. We yes. should be allowed to express your, your emotions are always valid. That is like yes, the thing that's that my favorite wrap. Rachel Besser Instagram post. Always valid. There is never a time when your feelings are not valid. Now, yes. having said that, your perspective on a situation causing those feelings might be a little skewed, but that's a separate right. thing. Your emotions are also, always valid. Right. And then how you respond with yeah. those, like what you do with those emotions, those are yeah. separate things. And I think people tend to lump those in together. Humans are so interesting. And intricate and complex and way too much. <laughs> yeah. And here you are braving the feet of understanding them, Rachel. It's my and favorite doing phenomenal, hobby. <laughs> doing a phenomenal job, might I add. <laughs> oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I want to just give your dad a big bear hug in the spirit, you know, like <laughs> because what something as simple as saying, "Do you have a private practice?" You know, like all he was doing game was changer. asking a simple question, but that was a huge game changer. Huge yeah, game changer. he didn't even know. I've never told him that either. That's crazy. Yeah. And, that's, and then that becomes the thing, like, especially with, with the generation of our parents, you telling him, he, he absolutely deserves to hear like, yo, dad, did you know that when you asked that question, it it changed my world. It changed my perspective of you, of therapy, of blah, 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 blah. Now, my question is, prior to him asking that, is that when there had been um, therapy for each of your parents and family therapy, or did that not happen until afterwards? We did actually see a therapist in Louisiana for a hot minute because that is when things got a little, they started to get more chaotic in the household. And that therapist made me cry too. And my whole family made fun of me for that. So like, there's a theme here about like me crying and then being immediately shamed for it. (laughs) That's a core wound. Um, But yeah. Oh, I remember him. We called him the bird man. I don't even remember his name, but he looked, he had like a bird face. I was about to say anyone who just has the nickname bird man and then you don't remember the, the actual <laughs> name, like I'm not sure yeah. what type of impact he truly yeah. made. I'm so sad he made you cry. He and then did, did not you know, make you feel safe. Cry? Like shout out to Jennifer. Yeah. Yes. Feel, feel oh safe. my God. Yes. And we had so many conversations that got heated in Jennifer's room and yeah. she's like a super woman. And she'd be like, she'd put her hand out like this when someone else was like, talk yelling and then be so attuned to whoever was finishing their sentence. It was so expansive for me. Cause I was like, well, that's how you like navigate. And there was more to it, obviously, mm. but she was just able to yeah. hold the room and navigate everybody's like, she was the facilitator of the conversation. And I was like, Whoa, it's bad bitch energy. I have an ugly question to ask. Oh, ask the ugly question. And it's just, it's really, it's me being ugly, but I'm also just, uh, it's, it's girl talk where I'm more personally, genuinely curious as to your answer. 
is there is there a, a gender difference that plays a part here in what the Birdman did or how he reacted versus what Jennifer did and how she reacted? Ooh, that's the ugliest question. question. I know. But I'm just I'm I I I have gotten into some deep conversations with a male, you know, partner, etc. Et and we've talked about the difference between a man's approach to business and a woman's approach to business. So it's on the forefront of my mind, that conversation of, well, here's how women might blah, blah, blah. And here's how men blah, blah, blah. So that's just me kind of tying it together. Just about totally. Oh, 100%. I think so. Because the way that I remember experiencing the Birdman, that <laughs> therapy, it was very <laughs> cold. And it was very like, like, so everyone got a turn to speak and we would just rotate. Also, I was super young, so I don't know, and very emotional and like scared. And we would always get Burger King after. That was like the reward. We'd go experience our, we'd go hash out our trauma and therapy and then go to Burger King and eat French fries about eat it. some traumatic food. Got it. <laughs> and then with Jennifer, it was very, she was so stoic, but like nurturing. And there were so many experiences that I had with her where I described her as like a snake in the water where she'd just mm -hmm. be like holding space for me mm -hmm. and then I'd be sharing and then she would, you know, it would be a little bit, bit of back and forth. And then she would just ask a question. And by asking the question, I would be forced to look at something differently and it would yes. like shatter my whole world in a good way in yes. one second. And that yes. happened over and over and over and over and over. And that's a very pivotal or foundational piece of the way that I facilitate sessions with my clients is like, how can I ask the right question? Yes. And my goal is always to help people like change their internal monologue to, yes. instead of making statements about themselves and constantly judging themselves the way that I did without even realizing it, just ask questions because the yes. opposite of judgment is curiosity. If you're curious about something, you can't also be experiencing all yeah. of this shame alongside of it. Right. So. So in an effort to redeem myself from the ugly question, <laughs> do you recall feeling that or experiencing um, that from, I'm so mad that we're calling him the Birdman. I just want you to know that. I'm so upset that this is the narrative. This is comical. The Birdman, do you recall him being more inquisitive and asking questions um, at all? I'm just going to leave it there. The only question I remember, which is the one that made me cry, was if you lost power, like if the power went out, what would you do? Because that was when we didn't really have any friends. And we were, my brother and I would fight over who could play the computer. That was mm -hmm. like a whole thing. Right. Um, so when I wasn't playing computer, I would draw. And I didn't even realize, like when he asked me that question, what would you do if you lost power? I was like, I'd draw. And then he was like, you wouldn't go play with your friends? And I remember thinking like, I didn't know that was an option in the question. Like I thought we were answering the question. Was, you were saying you, had, like you didn't have yeah, I did have one friend down the street that I would play with who had the same birthday. Doesn't as me, that question have this shade of like judgment on it? Or yes, is that just me? That's why I, yes, that's why I cried. And I was like, I didn't understand the parameters of this question. I didn't know that I that we were talking about like all the options here. And now I can see like adult perspective. He was just like uncovering my psyche and I'm confining my health myself to the house like unconsciously. Um, but yeah, I cried. And then my fam, my brother and my dad, would always pull up this memory for years. They'd be like, remember that time Rachel cried in the Birdman's office? And I'd be like, not gonna share anything with you, you guys are rude. <laughs> never know. Not cool. Never, yeah. I'm never expressing my feelings. Again. Yeah, yeah, screw you guys. But yeah, but it's been so powerful to do all this work because um, 
the way that like when I change my internal landscape, then it changes what I'm receptive to. And I've noticed a huge shift in just the way that like my relationship with my family has changed because the things that I'm receptive to have changed. So I'm not receptive to the same level of chaos that I was back then. I'm not receptive to, I don't know, that's like a good, <laughs> that's a good uh, umbrella statement. Yeah, it's it not is, definitely. The, the level of chaos that we kind of grew up in and that we're all attuned to. So, yeah. And they respond to me differently now, which is really huge. In a good way? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like, and I still have this, I'm thinking of like, I'm still... I consider myself to have a mostly secure attachment style now with everybody except my family, which is really funny because I know that they're probably going to listen to this. And it's like, I have the most avoidant attachment style with my parents, especially That's interesting when you have a really avoidant attachment style attunement, like you're attuned to me right now feels like a violation. And that's the experience I have with my parents where when my, when they ask me questions, um, especially personal questions. I'm like, yeah. why do you want to know? Like, what are you going to do yeah. with that information? I don't, I don't trust this experience. But I also have this other like upgraded mental narrative that's like, that's an old narrative. You can trust that whatever they do with that information has nothing to do with you. And you can also trust now that we're all adults. It's just me and my parents. There's, they're not having to like manage a zillion things at once. So they have the emotional energy to show up differently in maybe yeah. ways that they didn't when I was a kid. So it's a constant reprogramming um, practice. But what I've noticed mm. is that my, my emotional energy for my parents, this might have to be an offline. <laughs> like, like you let me know. I'm happy but, to edit um, however you see fit. <laughs> my emotional energy for my parents, I can stand like 20 minutes of attunement per day. So when I visit them, mm. I separate it into like, okay, we're going to eat dinner together and that's going to be like, 13 minutes of talking time. I'll maybe sit on the couch and watch TV with them. But if we're watching TV, then we're probably not talking too much. So I can count that for like five minutes of attunement total, like consolidated. And then around those times, I'm like outside and I'm walking. I'm trying to just reset my body yep. and be like, okay, you are not the same. Like, this is not how it was when I was 11. Right. So I think there's a lot of shame around like just talking about our upbringings to the certain generation, our parents who were raised in a way that, I mean, if we feel invalidated by our feelings, imagine how invalidated they must've felt oh, by man. their feelings and their experience. Like I think about how my parents were raised by my respective grandparents who I know, like I have a certain relationship with my grandparents. And then I hear stories about my mom as a kid and my dad as a kid and it's like, yeah, they didn't, like, I can see why I am the way that I am. And I understand why I internalized all these belief systems that were adopted because they had no choice but to internalize it from their parents and then their parents and then their parents. It's like a the list goes on. Yeah. Yep. And we are here. Interesting generation. General trauma. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. General trauma. Wow. That's interesting. I didn't, uh, that's been on my mind lately. The all right, long story short, there was a huge family meltdown that happened after Christmas this past year. It was mm -hmm. the first time we had ever hashed stuff like that out. I'll just leave that right there. Mm -hmm. Since that family meltdown, I have thought about the, the generational difference because my sister in this meltdown said out loud, the reality is Ava is 30 and she is standing here today talking about something that happened when she was eight. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. What does that mean? What do we do about that? What do we say about that? And my parents' generation, their reply is, uh, you get over it. You, why are we talking about, why are we talking about what happened when you were eight? You're freaking 30. Yeah. What's, yeah. And I did start, especially after this meltdown, to think about like, well, damn, what about, do you think about anything that happened when you're eight and you're just walking through your, you know, fifties and sixties life? Like, eh, it's okay. It's cool. I work. I got kids. I'm raising them. I'm good. So to bring this all full, full circle, this is part of the reason why my question a while ago was, have your parents gone to, to therapy? Mm. Um, just out of curiosity and then wondering, like, in that generation, who are the people that are that age that are not afraid mm. to go open that box and have those conversations? Or aside from fear, who are the people that are finding it necessary? I don't know if my parents are afraid as much as they just don't think it's necessary, which yeah. takes me even further back full circle to the beginning of this conversation and saying these people that think it's too late. Oh, it's too late. I'm about to be 60. Um, why? Why should I waste my time, you know, and go for this thing and go for healing and go for understanding and go for these conversations? Haven't done it in 40 years. Why start now? What would you, Rachel, personally, what would you say to that person? That person that's like, well, do I really need therapy? I'm like 60 now. Mm -hmm. I would say that neuroplasticity is 1000% a thing. They're doing, a, like the research is just getting mm -hmm. crazy at this point. The mm -hmm. field has evolved real, like a lot in the last 10 to 15 years, I want to say. And there was this belief before, I'm sure you've heard, that our, we can learn until we're 25 and then our brain stops growing <laughs> That's not true. Like there's ways to stimulate neuroplasticity and that, that helps change actual belief systems in your, like your, the way you experience the world yes. change. The way you experience the world depends on what you're believing on a subconscious level, because what you're believing on a subconscious level is what you project out into the world. And then your reticular activating system, which is a bundle of nerves in the back of your brain, which is what my tools named after that constantly looks for evidence to reinforce things you're already believing. And if you're, and then you can control what that evidence is that you're putting into that system. Mm -hmm. So we have our conscious mind. That is the beauty of being a human is consciousness to me means being aware of your own awareness. Let that sink in being aware of your own awareness. So what I do in meditation a lot is there was this phase when I started meditating where I'd have these thoughts come up. And I would tell myself, okay, just notice the thoughts and then let them go. Just like, let them go. And then it's just watching them go. I'm like, I don't care what I'm thinking about. Just like, get them out of here. Now, being aware of your consciousness is more like, or being aware of your awareness is noticing mm -hmm. the thoughts and then kind of asking why. And it really mm -hmm. feels like zooming out and seeing like, okay, I'm thinking about this because I'm desiring this thing and I'm feeling this thing. Keep going. It's all connected <laughs> like that conspiracy theory meme. But yeah, that was my, you, <laughs> my whole thought. Are you familiar? Okay, that's like the 1,000th time I've seen that book and I haven't read it yet. I know. Okay, now I'm going to be totally, totally honest. You don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't need this book, but you you know so much already rachel but back to that conversation <laughs> you know so much and, you, and then you're like do i know everything okay so this fucking book 
change your life? Well, here's the interesting thing. Yes. But I haven't gotten past chapter three. Cool. Because the way that Michael A. Singer has written, and, and I'm very, very honest when I share <laughs> when I share this book with people, I say, get past the idea that you're going to be reading something that's so it's written to be very simple. And when I first started reading it, that turned me off. And I was like, why does this, it seems like I'm reading at a fifth grade level and why I thought that I was going to be reading at a higher level than that. Like what's going on here? I continued and I can feel now that it's written that way on purpose. You don't need all the extra stuff and the extra information, the extra words, the extra understanding, the extra this, that, and the third, because he is trying to be so very direct and simple. You can be aware of your awareness, which is why this, this has come up. In the first three chapters, like chapter one is getting you to realize, of course, the classic, I'm sure you're familiar with, who are you? Oh, I'm a wife. No, you just told me that you, you're a spouse. You didn't tell me who you are. Oh, I'm a dance instructor. No, you told me your job. You didn't tell me who you are. So we're all pretty, like everybody knows about that whole narrative. So that's like the first chapter. Second chapter, uh, I don't remember. Let's see, let's see, let's see. The Voice Inside Your Head is the title of the second chapter. So he very simply and directly is like, hey, sit down and think some things. And I'm just reading through this book, and I'm, I remember I, I still lived back at home. I'm sitting on the floor of my bedroom in the attic, and I'm like, all right, I'll, okay, sit here and think some things, sure. And then it's like, all right, now who's the person that just heard you think those things? Uh -huh. And that, oh my gosh. And I just remember being like, good question i'll read on <laughs> like and this is and yeah. what i want to share with you is that in this book this is the very first time things like this were being brought to my attention whoa chapter three is what's titled who are you i just saw the words the lucid self somewhere where did i see Ooh. that's chapter four i don't believe i got to chapter four regarding the lucid self but Getting to chapter three, the way that he can, just in black and white words, have you stop and realize that there is something listening to that something. And then he has you shut that something up. He it, like and, and what I'm most impressed by is the fact that just in these little words in this book, was I able to achieve that based on the way that he directed you through what you were thinking. And that process of, oh, I guess I can tell that person to shut up. And when I did get that other voice to shut up, that is what scared me to the point where I haven't opened this book back up yet. <laughs> I, I'm so serious. I'm so serious. And it's beautiful. And it was so enlightening. And I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for it. But that happened maybe three or four years ago. And in that last three or four years, <laughs> I have been riding on that one experience of, well, at least I know. At least I know I can shut that voice up. And that in itself has been pretty powerful. Uh, when I'm ready, I'll go beyond that. I don't know when that's going to be because that was some scary shit. But that is so funny. being aware of your awareness, I, I know what I want the next uh, or the direction of the conversation. I know where I want it to go overall. But I love what you bring to the table in your choice of words as well as what you've learned, what you know about these things. Um, what you explain is so technical but also so human which of course is beautiful and very valuable. Thank um, you. You mentioned 22, first secure relationship, um, understanding that, you know, you were a fearful avoidant at that time and you would cry when he leaves and he no was idea. so understanding and supportive. Yeah. And that's gorgeous. 22 is an interesting age. 
I'd like to know, I'd, I'd like to gradually move to speaking about the reticular activating system and the work that you okay. do within mm. that system. Fantastic. But high school to college, what you studied in college, what certificates you also have outside of that, what is it, whether it be experiences or just information that has moved you in this direction? What could you mm. say about early 20s Rachel or, or approaching the 20s Rachel and her decision to continue to invest so much time and energy into talking to us about things like this? Mm, oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to try and like consolidate all the it's things. There were, some, there were some pivotal moments that I still remember, like in that relationship, my first secure relationship, shout out to that boyfriend. He's amazing. Hey, 22 year old um, boyfriend. Was, yes. I'm pretty sure he's engaged now. And I saw that on Instagram and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so proud for him, which I didn't even know that was an option to experience. Like yes. there's some narrative, like we're supposed to resent our exes, but like, no, like, nope, it, we don't have to. So exactly. <laughs> Amen. I think the narrative, but anyway, I was a professional horse trainer at that time. I was in a relationship. I lived on a farm. I was literally living my dream life. When someone asked me when I was a teenager, what I wanted to be, I said, I want to be a horse trainer. I want to have my own barn. I want to like, this is what I want to do. And then I did it. And it was like a freak thing. People don't get the opportunities that I had. It was like crazy kismet. Like it just popped out of nowhere. Everything kind of fell into place, which I feel a little like guilt saying that because it's like, it's so, it was so kismet. And I just want to say that like, I am aware of how freaking right. privileged I am. And um, 22 or no, sorry. I think it was 25. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. It's not that relevant. But anyway, <laughs> no at the end of I was getting kind of sick of a lot of things in the horse industry. I was feeling unsatisfied in my relationship. I was just like ready to do something else. I knew that I wanted to do more with my life. I felt like this, I had everything that I wanted, but it wasn't like, I wasn't happy. Hmm. And somehow I ended up, this is so like silly, but I was on Facebook and I came across a Jane Elliott video. You know who Jane Elliott is? Oh yes. I fucking love her. Sorry, She's I amazing. Know. I was just telling my mom about her the other day. Oh my God, game changer. I feel so strongly about Jane Elliott because I know she's like a controversial figure in a lot of areas of life. And I watched this video of, it was from that one famous video. It was like a snippet of the girl leaving the room because she wouldn't apologize for something. And I was just like, huh, what? what? I need more context to this little snippet. Like I'm intrigued. So I ended up binge watching like four hours of Jane Elliott videos and mm. that that's when I learned about social constructs, wow. which like that's a testament to privilege in itself. I grew up around white upper, not upper middle, like middle class, upper middle class, maybe. I don't know. Um, I was well off. Like I had all the things and watching that video, I was like, holy shit. There's so many narratives that we just blindly accept that I've always kind of intrinsically knew didn't totally make sense, but I felt like it wasn't my place to go against these. It, what like this is how things had to work because these are that's is what authority figures were telling me like this is how life right. works um even down to things like boys will be boys like i always mm. that was a huge narrative that i was fed growing up is mm. i would be punished is a strong word but i would be reprimanded for things that my brothers would get yes. off with yes. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. And I was told different things. So the experiment was about racism, obviously, but I was able to interpret it in my own lens and say, like, oh, there's a lot of these things. Like there's yep. whole freaking structures that are invisible that we're adhering to that don't make sense and that are unfair. 
And then I got really passionate about social justice. And I'm like, I'm a little bit spicy in that area. Um, and I started, water. yes, spicy Scorpio water <laughs> was heated. And then that's when I really got intrigued by psychology and like sociology and the way that people work and belief systems. And then I ended up quitting my job, breaking up with that boyfriend, like complete life. I had a quarter life crisis, we could call it. Mm. And I changed my entire life. I went back to school for business. Um, and then during that time, I was chasing degrees and I was working at a car dealership, luxury car dealership. And there was a running joke around the office that was like, oh, just manifest what you want. Speak it into existence. Da, da, da. And I was like, ha yeah, funny joke. I don't know what this hmm. means. And then I was dating some guy. The story is like all over the place. So I hope you're still following. Yeah, I know that you will bring it back home. We are yeah, following. It, okay, great. Um, yeah. And then so manifestation was a thing that I kept hearing. And then I ended up going through, I was dating this other guy for five minutes and ended up ending that. And I remember feeling my feelings so deeply from that loss, even though it was a short relationship. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what came over me, but I was like, look up what manifestation is. And then I looked it up and it's thought creates, thoughts create things, law of attraction, blah, blah, blah. Very spiritual stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm open-minded. I will listen to whatever. So I looked up some podcasts and then through that process, I discovered what the subconscious mind was. And then I pivoted from the spiritual side of manifestation to like the psychology and neuroscience, yes. of all of that stuff. And that's wow. when I was like, whoa, this is a thing. The law, the law of attraction is really just training your reticular activating system and training your brain and training your body to create things. That sounds... No, you're fine. Because as you said that, I'm like, people, people on the surface are like, all right, let me go manifest this new car. But what yeah. Rachel Besser is doing is showing you that you can manifest a new understanding of a past experience of a relationship. Like you think that you just have to sit inside of the way that an experience shaped you and shaped your thinking when you don't. You can shape shift and manifest a new understanding of life and the way it's happening for you. Okay, sorry, go. Mm -hmm. I love it. And we have this subconscious comfort zone that, so if you want to manifest something and your body thinks that it's unsafe to have that thing, you're going to sabotage the crap out of that. Like you're not going to let yourself achieve that thing. And you see that mm -hmm. with relationships a lot. It's like people want this really attentive, secure partner, but they have an insecure attachment style. And then they meet someone who's secure and it's scary and they push them away. And yeah. So what was my point here? Reticular activating system. You may or may not have been talking about me just now. I'm just going to exit stage left. Be <laughs> she really did leave. She's gone. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, there's so many but different I'm aware and I'm working on. very hard on it, damn it. Yes. And you will have it. Like, that's what I, I told a client this yesterday. Like, as long as you are doing the work and keep doing it, as long as you don't stop, you will achieve the thing like failure. There's that quote. That's like failure is only f the only way to fail is to quit or something mm. like that. The only way to fail is to stop. They think life is not yeah. a linear journey. So you're going to go up. And then down, there's the concept of like failure, meaning that you're not going to, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're not going to acquire a specific thing, but 
it's like destination versus journey. What about everything that you're going to acquire along the way because you were being consistent and putting that energy forth in order to get to your destination? Stop and realize that there's so much to value while you're on the way to, to that space. Um, mm -hmm. The only way to fail is to quit sounds to me like, well, if you quit, you're now depriving yourself of all of the stuff that was going to come from, from you putting your energy in that direction. Yeah. Not just not achieving that one amount of money to get the car. I don't know why the car is what we keep going to, but I'm sorry. I the want car is really good. Uh, no, you're fine. I don't even know where I was going with that conversation. I was thinking about. And you mentioned it was, it was all over the place. Yeah. And, and I wanted to, to see how we came to RAS, which you've already given great answers to. Um, you spoke about Jane Elliott so highly and, and you were saying that that was a really pivotal point in your understanding of mm -hmm. social systems and um, psychology amongst groups, sociology. Um, and then your relationship and ending that relationship, but you had the shorter. Was there another point you were going to make about the car dealership? Or were you just saying that that was your introduction to the concept of manifestation? Yeah, the yeah. Because uh, that's where the first time I heard the word manifestation. And yeah, the, yeah, the point of that was I came into, I started searching about manifestation as like the same way I sort of came into astrology as like, I'm intrigued, but I'm not emotionally investing in this concept at all. And then I learned about the neuroscience and psychology of a lot of things that are not not spiritual. I think there's like if you were to draw a Venn diagram, of yes. those, you'd have spirituality on the one side and science on the other side. And manifestation is like the. I agree. I feel like there should be another word for it. I, I'd like to say conscious manifesting because you're always you're always manifesting things because the term of manifestation is literally just the intangible becoming tangible. So mm -hmm. that's how every idea, every invention is technically a manifestation. And there's these, even a term like symptoms manifest X, Y, Z. So I feel like there's this manifestation is sort of a charged buzzword mm -hmm. of sorts now, but really it's just what's in here in your imagination becoming real and the process of getting there can look like a zillion different things and there's a lot of spiritual bypass in the world but there's also tangible like ways to accomplish things it's just goal setting and training your body that you're allowed to have certain experiences and they're not dangerous um i like to say my whole mo is to align your conscious attention to your subconscious intention so whatever's in your subconscious, it's always looking for what it wants. So you have to align your, like your conscious mind is like the spotlight and you can direct where your subconscious is going as long as you understand what's going on in there. Most people don't. So. And you yeah. want people to understand what's going on in there. That's yeah. when you call Rachel. If you don't mm -hmm. understand what's happening in the depths of your mind, she can absolutely help you sort things out and, and gain understanding <laughs> of that process. All yeah. of those processes. Uh, okay. That's fun. Yeah, because if you're not operating with awareness of your subconscious, your inner workings per se, that is when behavior and emotional expression start to go sideways because mm. there's a disagreement between what you're emotionally experiencing and how you're allowed to express it. Um, I feel like there's a better way to phrase this. Let me think. Yeah, if you're say self-sabotage that's a good example it was on my instagram yes. story yesterday if your conscious mind is like i have to do this thing for my job and i have to do homework and i have to do xyz but your subconscious is like i'm overwhelmed i want comfort like i feel uncertain about a lot of things in the future 
I'm going to seek out what I know works to make me feel better. And that's why consciously you can say at the beginning of the day, I'm going to do all the things, but you end up scrolling on your phone and watching Netflix and curling up on the couch and doing things because your subconscious controls 90% of your decisions. And Mm -hmm. that is, I have done a lot of research on this and I cannot find consistency in the statistics because apparently the way they measure how much information you're taking in versus how much is going to your conscious brain, it's like a really high percentage. But um, the professionals in the industry tend to say that it's between 88 and 97% of all of mm. your decisions are subconsciously made. So wow. if you think about, yeah, think about all the conscious decisions that you've yeah. made in a day, those are just the conscious ones that you right. that are up and so like 90% of those decisions are likely made on autopilot. Mm. So rewinding a little bit back to conscious mind, consciousness being your awareness of your own awareness, that's when you can sort of like use this consciousness spotlight and see, okay, what does my yes. subconscious really want? What do I need? And that's and when the you two can-, can work together as a team, Yes, which mm-hmm. is exactly what you did in your story. Yes. Yes. Wow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to definitely post that again now and, uh, <laughs> and call more attention because now we've explained exactly what you saw there. Yes, you did absolutely explain it on the story. But now just to post like this is, and again, there is, you, uh, I just love you so much. You give, <laughs> you give such technical information, but it comes from a place that is so human and so warm and so understanding. So now yeah. to be able to look at that list of things that you were feeling and then the list of things that you did about what you were feeling. And then the mm-hmm. fact that you still got done what consciously needed to get done, but you still gave the effort and attention to your subconscious desires. Like that's the mm-hmm. name of the game. You yes. had it worked out. It's beautiful. I try. I'm definitely not perfect. Thank you. You're so supportive. This is and, so and nice. I love you. <laughs> there's, and it's not that it has to be perfect. It's just like, this is somebody that's doing the work. You are mm-hmm. doing the work. You have not given up on yourself. When I'm sure that there have been plenty of opportunities for you to say, I'm throwing in the towel. Not only are you doing the work, but you have this heart for other people and you want to share what that work can look like, can sound like, can be so that other people can do it as well. And that's a part where it's like, you didn't have to do that. You could be doing all this work and be totally self-absorbent, I guess you can say, and just be like, this is everything I need to do for me. And it just so happens that you are not only working within yourself, you want other people to achieve and to see that this is how things are are working and that this is possible for them and not just you. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we limit ourselves in so many ways. And like shadow work is one of my foundational pieces of my practice too. And that like long story short for your listeners is your shadow is all the rejected aspects of yourself. So all those core wounds are attached to these certain perceptions and traits that we label ourselves with. And if we're operating in the world in a way where half of our potential is put in this little box, I like to say that's not allowed, we're not allowed to be that then all the opportunities we're missing because of that is so like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? And that's why I'm so passionate about like to tie it back to the Jane Elliott thing. That's when I realized like, holy shit, we have all these social structures that are superimposed on us. And for what, for who, like for, I mean, we know who the founding fathers and all that jazz, but you know, it's, <laughs> we take away these opportunities for ourselves and I don't know. 
this is where I get a little existential. And it's like, imagine what society would be like if everybody was in tune with their own emotions and what they really, really needed and was able to express that in a way that and then actually be seen and accepted. Yes. And this yes. is why this podcast is here, which is why I almost I cried that. just now. <laughs> and this is why Rachel Besser is sitting next to me on this Aww. podcast. Thank because you. the things in the box that life has caused you to believe have to stay in the box and have to be pushed aside. That's not mm -hmm. true. Those are yes. just as integral parts of who every human being is. And when you bring Preach. those integral parts and you make sure that you infuse them into the way that you present yourself to the world, you can come listen to this podcast. You can come be on this podcast and know that I will not and my listeners and viewers will not shun you, push you away, ridicule you, discredit you for all of the parts of who you are. Not just the shit on the surface that we can find when we Google you or search you on freaking Instagram. <laughs> yes, thank I you. I feel so passionately about this. I love that too. <laughs> and another, another thing I like to say is that we can only meet others as deeply as we've already met ourselves. And most people are taught to put all of like huge pieces of ourselves away back in our shadow because of, you know, operant, con operant conditioning and all that. But the beauty is like integrating that back into yourself because then you go out into the world and experience someone who's having a bad day or maybe some other challenges and you realize that nothing is personal. Like every, every challenge that you experience, every time someone's, I like to use the analogy of a stranger yelling at you in line at the grocery store for what? And you're like, I don't even know. And you know that it's not about you. It's all projection. That's a great analogy. I love how simple and relatable that is. Mm -hmm. You know, the person that's in a rush because they are running late for their cousin's baby shower. That's mm -hmm. yelling at you because you can't find your credit card in your wallet at that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not like, about you. It's about them feeling rushed and feeling like, oh, my God, my cousin's going to yell at me again because I was late last time. And like they're feeling really guilty and they're shaming themselves and they're taking it out on you. And when you do the work to meet yourself at that deep level and experience like hold space for yourself, all the parts of yourself, then you can see other people's reactions and behavior for what they are, which is like a little bit of a sticky territory too because you don't want to like assume other people's yes. experience but allowing that room for empathy in other people's experience it's like all these perspectives are automatic because of our programming like the way we've been trained to perceive the world mm. becomes automatic and even things like they're so unconscious so an analogy i like to use is like the direction we um drive in traffic we use the right side of the road in america and that's, we don't even think about that on the daily. So that's an intrinsic belief system is mm. we drive on the right side of the road. Sidewalks are for walking, like these simple things. Right. And we have beliefs about ourselves that run that deep too. So when you can get to those and understand what you're really thinking about yourself and how you're perceiving yourself in relation to the world around you, that's what creates limitations and sort of like, so we are consciously creating or we're creating our reality, but if it's unconscious, you're just letting those, they're almost like, um, I want to use like a traffic analogy right now. Or something. They're like the flashing mm -hmm. lights and the, the traffic cones. Those are our subconscious belief systems. And when you're aware of what you're thinking about yourself and start to consciously change those, then it's like moving around your traffic cones and allowing yourself to experience yeah. things that maybe your parents, <laughs> like if you adhered to the way your parents raised you, you wouldn't have those. 
I'm smiling because you just impart, <laughs> you just gave me something so beautiful that I huh? know, I know somebody needs to hear. So here it is. We live in America. Intrinsic belief system. You drive this way on the right side of the road. You drive that way on the left side of the road. Other Weird countries enough. do it the other way around. Mm -hmm. And they're getting around and getting from point A to point B just as safe yes! as we are. Oh my God, that's so, such a good analogy. So F your intrinsic belief system. That's anyway, good. That's yo, good. You, you were saying it. I was just like, ah. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Only once. Dude, that's Totally. Deep. And that's another deep. point is like, you can evaluate what's going on subconsciously and it doesn't mean you have to change it. Like you can keep some belief systems. Just the ones that maybe the ones that are telling you you are not worthy unless you're um, unless you can perform. That's a really common one. I like to call mm. that the transactional belief system is your value in a room depends on how much you can contribute. That's not true. You're intrinsically worthy of everything you want just yeah. for existing, for being a human. And that's like, I don't know, I just said that and I saw something about spiritual narcissism the other day, actually, and how Western spiritual spirituality is like narcissistic in a sense. And I'm like, whoa. That is a good, I mean, they're not wrong hmm. because a lot of the spirituality stuff that I've been exposed to kind of puts you or asks you to put yourself right. in the center of the universe, which I think is actually a necessary process for a lot of people I agree. because you have to be able to consider yourself and your experience just as much as other people. So. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel, you just, you just gave it back to me and I know exactly where to find it. <laughs> and it's completely relevant to what you just said. You said all that. And I was like, damn, does she see the same post that I saw? And then like a ton of bricks. It was like, oh, that's where you typed your point about judgment and assumptions. Girl, I am done here. I am done here. Wait, what? I feel like I missed something. You're like my spirit animal. Oh, love it. Listen, listen, <laughs> listen watch this. Let me tell you what just happened. Okay. Okay. What happened was you said something about spiritual narcissism. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. I said to, and I said to myself, oh, wait, that's just like a, something I just read the other day as well. I wonder if she saw the same thing. But I was going to bring that thing up as, in an effort to flow with the conversation. And then my brain was like, hey, that's where you typed that comment about judgment and assumptions. So <laughs> that's we're funny. done here. We're finished here. So now, now because it's double the relevant... Think about how everyone in there, okay, um, this is my friend. I'm gonna read it like my friend. I'm gonna read it like my friend typed it. Think okay. about how everyone in their mama claims that they can feel energy or claims to be empaths. What if, bear with me, none of us are, and instead of feeling energy, what we're really doing is just making ego-driven, preconceived notions of people based on how we already feel about them in our minds with no fucking proof. Now, I got a shout out to Red Almighty, Red underscore Almighty out of Atlanta. He also has his own podcast called, well, I keep saying it's Get B, Giving Him the Blues podcast. That's who just typed that. And my comment, while I absolutely get what he's saying, my comment is, of course, I can't find it because his comments are popping on this topic. <laughs> Some of us are consciously choosing to kill our ego and not make assumptions or judgments based or, or judgments of others. While I understand what you're saying. Some of us are like, no, this is really my spirit. And I'm also consciously shaping my spirit to not judge and assume and operate in, in those narcissistic ways. Full circle. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I love the concept. Um of empathy too because i've been this is have this has been at the forefront of my mind lately it, i'm doing a lot of research on this on the side and when i say research research i mean like books and youtube videos i'm not doing experiments or anything i'm not a neuroscientist let's just throw that right out there <laughs> but i do love neuroscience um Amen. but what i have discovered 
is that there is no such thing as empathy, as selfless empathy. So everything we experience about other people, we can only feel that because it's also alive in us. Mm. So when you're feeling someone else's feelings, they're also your feelings too. Yes. And I think there is, um, like you can be feeling very intensely and it's not totally yours, but the fact that you're receptive to it means that it is alive in you. And I think that's really important because that means there's something in you. If it's like negative feelings, that mm-hmm. means there's something in you asking to be seen and to be healed, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And asking to relate to that other person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's a mirror. I love that phrase because I so believe that and I think that reinforces it's it. definitely true. Yeah. As much as I would hate to say that there's some sort of time limit on this conversation. (laughs) I know. (laughs) um, Which, girl, no. But (laughs) I always, I I have to have to do this. um, Before I go into the direction of rounding to a close, knowing that you are here on this platform, which I'm extremely grateful and humbled about. um, Thank you. Is there something specific, you know, knowing what the podcast stands for and just knowing that this is a way that your voice can be amplified, that your light can be magnified? Is there something particular that you would want to share with people and with the platform um, because you are standing, you know, at this uh, podium, so to speak, (laughs) with this microphone before we finish up? Yes, and that is... Every single emotion you experience ever on anywhere in the spectrum, whether it's just a little thought or a big feeling, every single emotion you have, two things. It's intrinsically meaningless outside of the context in which it's had. That's what neuroscience has shown that. But secondly, it's important because it's showing you something about yourself. So don't underestimate your own feelings. Always listen to what your emotions are telling you because that is the language into your subconscious and to mm. inject a little spirituality in there. I really believe that your emotions are like your direct line of communication to your higher power, whether it's God or the universe mm. or your spirit or your soul or whatever, even if you're not even spiritual at all, your emotions are the direct link to the most heavy parts of yourself. And that's your mm-hmm. subconscious. It's almost like I always like to use horse analogies. Your subconscious is taking you somewhere regardless of your conscious opinions about it. So the best thing you can do for yourself is shine that conscious attention light back onto yourself and just never stop learning about yourself and how you work. Because once you understand yourself, you can sort of like maximize your potential. And I think if everybody did that, it'd be kind of awesome. And the world would be so emotionally intelligent. Like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen to your feelings. Necessary. Long, story short, long story short, listen to your feelings. They're telling you Amen. something every single time. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's extremely Thank you. important. <laughs> and it's relevant to how I wanted to close the conversation. Um, <laughs> you mentioned being rich and buying your parents a yacht. Yeah. For them paying for my therapy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. So in my mind, I said, well, that's absolutely going to be the case one day. And Aww. when Rachel when Rachel is rich and when she does buy her parents that yacht, I wonder I wonder what it would be for. I wonder where that money is coming from and why. Mm-hmm. I wonder how she achieves that. I'm going to assume that it will be because everyone sees how valuable you are <laughs> in Aww. bringing this understanding of your reticular activating system to light in yeah. helping other people really know, you know, exactly what that is and exactly how it operates and how they can use it. Mm -hmm. From you personally, in your own words, 
when Rachel is rich enough to buy her parents that yacht, what's it for? What does the world see in you? What do people see in you? Mm. The ability to transform. That's like, you're going to change lives. That's the focal your, point. You're transformed. Yep. Everything that exists within you is alchemizable. If it's a positive mm. emotion, you can transform it 10 times, 10 X. If it's a negative emotion, transmute it into something productive. It's like astrology where the positive flowy placements are ease. That's energetic ease. Mm -hmm. And the harder aspects like squares and opposing mm -hmm. placements, that's what creates things. That challenges what creates things. And I think that holds true for emotional experiences too. It creates. It is what carves out your own potential to create. Mm. So you're going to be rich for awakening the world. Waking the <laughs> sounds, like, waking... <laughs> sounds like a lot of pressure, actually. Like the, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility, Rachel. Yeah, I'm like, mm, <laughs> maybe. But yeah, I really, I like to think of my, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I like to think of my coaching practice. I say emotional integration. I say shadow work. They're all like part of the same overarching thing. And it's really just making the unconscious conscious. Like Carl Jung said, yes. raising the level of consciousness, increasing your own awareness of self. That's what I think my superpower is, is helping other people like open up the hood and see what's really going on underneath. You're so good at it. Thank I need you. everyone to check Rachel out wherever you <laughs> can check her out. I don't care if it's Google, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Bing, like, I don't care. Just <laughs> Yahoo search. <laughs> Yahoo. AOL. Like, what's up? <laughs> Me on am. <laughs> Seriously, you have to take a look. And, and what I really want to do is make sure that everyone knows exactly what your website is. Because um, yesterday, when I really took a look at the information and, and just the way that you have everything written out, um, it's so detailed and, and so powerful and you yeah. do a great job with the way that you explain things and drive points home, whether it be in speech or in writing. So Thank you. I need you to go to rachelbesser.com slash RAS tool. Yes, because on that website, there is such detailed and bullet pointed and organized information on the science behind, you know, the way that your mind works, the methodology, um, who it's for, who it's not for. I love that you broke that down because that that was so awesome to me because I never would have thought I never would have thought that it's not for anybody. I would have just yeah. like, everybody needs this. Everybody needs it. Like, so <laughs> totally. But you had a lot to say about that particular answer and perspective, just as much as you had to say about who does need this particular practice and this coaching. Um, you are so powerful. Powerful. Thank you. Thank You've you. been gifted with so much power, and I can't tell you how happy. It's a feeling of joy to see that that power has not been taken away from you and to see that you are embracing it. Thank you. Seriously. This is so I nice. can love you. Oh, my God. I have a lot of feelings right now. <laughs> so how do you feel about <laughs> Ava and Rachel bonding time, as you so coined it? <laughs> it's been amazing. It's been really amazing. This is so fun. I almost feel like I should. I don't know if I actually share the process of the RAS tool because it sounds mm. a little vague. But long story short, the RAS retraining tool is what I like to call it, is a process of basically evaluating your perspective 
on certain situations, oftentimes we go through things that have been triggering you a little bit. And I say triggering, I want to say activating instead of triggering, because if you're mm -hmm, having mm -hmm. a triggered experience in the PTSD aspect of it, right. not for you, not like go to a therapist that can help you do EMDR or something that can work out that trauma. And then once you're done with that, then we can come back to the RAS tool. And basically it evaluates your perspective on situations and we uncover your subconscious script. And then from there, validate the parts of you that are feeling unseen and need a little more support and need to be empathized with. And then build off that perspective and expand what your awareness is taking in and basically create a new subconscious script and mm. create this flood of positive emotions because of that experience. And then I teach you how to anchor that emotional experience to a physical object or a smell. I like to use this selenite wand for myself, which I yes, definitely just had here. Sitting Ooh, here. Powerful. Yeah. Yes. And basically it's a process that helps you retrain your brain to see things, see to experience the world in a way that's empowering for you, but still validating to the parts of you that need a little more support. So wow. it's an intensive session, but I teach you the process and then you can go do it on your own and retrain your brain and experience yourself and raise your consciousness and manifest your dream life if you're into that. <laughs> that was that so was deep. I feel that was so yeah. deep. It was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very well said. Oh, thanks. So many people need that. I and so many help. people don't know where to turn to mm -hmm. get that. Yes. Oh, so I have so many opinions on that. I know we're running short on time here, but I have a lot of feelings about that. About find it, find someone who resonates with you. If you're going to work Amen. with someone, and if you have attachment stuff, attachment style problems, you need to work with someone, a human that can help you reattach, learn to develop a secure attachment style in real time by relating to them. But do it with someone who resonates with you and that you can actually trust because there are some like, I don't know, credentials are great and everything, but if you don't yes. trust the person, it's not going to yes. get you anywhere. And then at the same time, do your research and make sure that the people who you're hiring make sense and are teaching things that are aligned. ethical. Yeah. Yes. And aligned. Yes. Because it's a big wide industry. So these are not Thank you for that disclaimer. That definitely <laughs> needed to be heard. I'm sure some stuff. people were ready to just like Google and click whatever came up at the yeah, top. Like, no. Exactly. First of all, no, you should never choose a person that way. But second of all, she's right here. So maybe just, <laughs> maybe it's evident yeah. that the person you need to chat to is sitting right next to me. Oh, so, I love that. Yes, that. I do consult calls too, if anyone's not sure. Like I will just talk to people and then you tell me. No pressure. So. I'm so happy we met Rachel. Me too. This it was so kismet. It's it's kismet. It was it's powerful. Um, mm -hmm. You know to know that we're both superheroes that <laughs> have such similar uh, desires for the world for the people around us. Mm -hmm. It's so affirming I love and it. validating. And uh, oh, another spiel. Okay, so disclaimer: in joining us on the Mirage Podcast, you are now a member of what I absolutely treat like family and call a family. And if ever there is something that you do and you want additional exposure, additional outreach, you can absolutely count on us. 
when you become a guest on this show, I'm I just straight up become your cheerleader forever and ever, and ever and ever. So I will always be super in tune. I mean, I'm already super in tune with people, whether you're on the show or not, but I will be super okay. in tune with the things that you do. And yeah, right, right. <laughs> super in tune with the things that you do, especially because everything that you do has proven to be so valuable. And I just want to make sure that the world gets all of this light that you are giving out to it. So that is why I really needed to hear from you today. That Aww. is why we really needed to bond today and solidify this this clear cut new friendship that's happening here. Yay. And um, just know that it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop here when I end this broadcast. It's ongoing. Aww. And you know, if you need anything, to the best of my ability, I will make it happen. But Thank you. it's my mission Aww. now to make sure more people know who you are and what you're out here doing. Wow, you're an angel. Stop. I need to that's see it. your whole chart. I need to see your astro chart. I need to do astro research on you. So I feel like that if, if we could do another conversation that is about that, because I would love and oh my God, oh, yeah, man, damn it, Rachel. OK, so <laughs> I do I do have to go for this afternoon, but I would love to hop on the phone, hop on FaceTime, hop on an IG video call because you don't know the personal story of where this podcast came from, who this podcast came from. I don't. So just to get you even more excited for the next time we speak, may I just do something? Can I just show you something? Yeah. OK. I'm about to show you some books. Okay. The books I'm about to show you before we go, they have all been given to me by one person. One person. All right. All right, hold on one second. Oh, okay. shoot. I didn't even know I had this one. I got to pull that one. <laughs> all right, that one's at the bottom of that stack. Oh, my God. Not, not that one this one is definitely a personal favorite. All right, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You look like Gus Gus from Cinderella. All right. Rachel. Present. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is a really big deal right now. What, what's about to happen is extremely special to me and I cannot wait to talk to you about it. Okay, we have The Pursuit of Destiny. Cool. Lord, where am I gonna put this stack? <laughs> a Course in Miracles. Ooh. Soul Vibrations. Cool. Spiritual growth. The Astrology Encyclopedia. Love. Heaven Knows What, which is directly correlated to Astrology for the Millions. They're both by the same astrologer. I just was not pulling that one out from the bottom of that stack. <laughs> Personal favorite, Anatomy of the Spirit. Mm. This one has tape on it. A, a something meditation exercise. Something about meditation. Okay, that one's that one's a little. Uh, the Handbook of Chinese Horoscopes. Cool. Karmic Astrology. Ooh. Joy and the Part of Fortune. I gotta look into that one too. The Astrological Houses, just in a book. Um, rulers it. of the Horoscope. Astrology for the Soul. How do you pronounce this? Out of curiosity. Chiron. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, Chiron. And then last one here, Linda Goodman's Star Signs. And he was in direct uh, communication with Linda Goodman. He told me a few stories about some letters that they sent back and forth. This Whoa. podcast started because of the person that gave me all these books. Aww. So I just want to make that connection. I love. And I'm saying that to say that our next conversation will be beautiful because the same part of you that's like, I want to look at your chart. I want to blah, 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 blah. Like, 
that's going to be the biggest can of worms to open ever, ever, ever. <laughs> and I'm very yes. excited for it. And I know like the way that we just had so much fun in this conversation, I can't even imagine. Um, and now I'm excited to just share with you like who this person is as yes. well, because that's some like a personal piece to my puzzle that you absolutely deserve to know. And it'll just Aww. give you some insight on, on some more stuff. I love. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. This has been amazing. All of last night's anxiety out the window, I'm hoping. Gone. Gone. <laughs> totally gone. Very positive experience. Five Yay. stars out of five stars. Six <laughs> stars out of five stars. <laughs> oh, thank you. Same goes for you. This was beautiful. Mm -hmm.